risen. You're supposed to answer, He is risen indeed. Let's try that one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank and praise you for the fact that we can worship the risen Savior today. We ask that you bless each part of this service and be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Children's Church and Toddler Church, if there's any of those in here as well. The rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, the very passage that song was written about is in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look there this morning. (coughs) If you like titles for uh, a message, this message is titled, The Power of His Resurrection. And in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul has just finished giving his personal testimony here, uh, what has gone on in his life, all the things that he had accomplished. And in verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Verse 8 of Philippians chapter 3, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which also... I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now, this is just part of Paul's testimony here. If you read the first six verses, he tells of all of his accomplishments, all of the things that he had attained to. Some of those things are impossible to attain to except you be born into the right family. I mean... You can't be a Jewish person unless you were born into a Jewish family. Paul was. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, the same tribe of which the first king of Israel came from. And he was not just a Jewish man. He was a Pharisee. You have to understand. The Pharisees in Paul's day, question number one on the entrance exam was, quote, Genesis, all 50 chapters. Question number two, Exodus, 
all 40 chapters. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. How many are ready to be Pharisees? I don't see any hands going up. Mine isn't going up. I was just going to show you if you had the ability to do all of that. But here's what Paul said. He said, I count them but loss. He said, I've suffered the loss of all things. Now, there's not a one of us in this room that could say what the Apostle Paul said there. But he had lost everything. Every good thing in his life was connected to his religion. And in order to serve Jesus Christ, he lost everything. They took away his degrees. They took away his standing. They took away his reputation. They tried to kill him. They beat him on several occasions. Paul stoned him. Paul lost everything. We pay so little. Sometimes we think we're suffering for the Lord because the trains aren't running well on Sunday morning. Or we can't find a parking spot. You can never find a parking spot in Astoria. But Sunday morning is the best time to look for them, is it not? Amen? Listen. Here's what Paul said. That song. The resurrection power. He said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Now, I want you to listen very carefully because I do not intend, nor have I planned to be unnecessarily offensive this morning, but I do want you to understand the gospel in and of itself is offensive. Because there is a narrow way. The gate is straight. The Bible says that there's going to be many that try to get in there. In fact, Jesus said, strive to enter into that gate. He said, fight. Roll up your sleeves. Take off your coat. But you're not fighting against the devil. You're not fighting against the world. You're not fighting against the politicians. You're fighting against yourself. Because the only person that can send you to hell is you. You see, Jesus did everything possible so you could go to heaven. They tell the story of a rescue mission. It was downtown Chicago. It was called the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. Now, where they came up with Pacific Garden in Chicago, I don't know. But many, many, many hurting people for well nigh on a hundred years have found the gospel of Jesus Christ in that place. And someone was visiting the city and, and uh, there was a bar there <clears throat> called the Gates of Hell. That's a good name for a bar, isn't it? You just might get there, you never know. Stay long enough, you might fall through the floor and, well, who knows. 
Anyway, that, that bar was an actual bar in the city, and it wasn't very far from the rescue mission. And somebody was asking directions, and the person who related the story heard about it. <clears throat> and he said, I'm looking for that bar, the gates of hell. And the guy said, you see that cross right there? He said, that lighted cross there, that's the rescue mission. If you'll just go beyond the cross, you'll find the bar. Wow. And, and I'm here to tell you, if you want to go to hell, you just got to go beyond the cross of Jesus Christ. you got to go past it. It's there. You see, we all are religious people. God put it in our DNA. You study anthropology, if you will. I am no fan of national pornograph. I mean geographic. They're most famous for taking naked pictures and telling people to take their clothes off and all these kinds of things when they've been wearing them for generations because they want to show the primitive society. Well, what, <clears throat> excuse me, what are they trying to show? You read National Geographic and they talk about their religious rituals, how they worship sticks and stones. And abuse and misuse and even eat one another as part of their religion. Let me ask you something. Where did these people who have not had anybody visit them for the last 2,000, 3,000 years get religion? As perverted and strange as it is. Where did they get that idea <clears throat> that they had to worship something? Why does every people group have something they worship? I'll tell you why. Because we all come from the same place. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible. <clears throat> I don't care what continent you live on. I don't care who your grandfather was. We're related somehow. Now, it's distant. But we're all connected. We all have the same grandparents. Adam and Eve. Amen. <clears throat> and actually, we all share another set of grandparents. Noah and Mrs. Noah. So, we're double related. Amen? See, there's no room for prejudice in the Bible. There's no room for hatred in the Bible. But there is a difference between right and wrong. And don't confuse the difference between right and wrong and the difference between love and hate. Love is not permissiveness, my friend. And the reason I say that is in an introduction here, <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, uh, I hope I can get over the, the cold here and it won't be too much of a distraction. But Paul says that I may know him and the power 
of his resurrection. And the reason why we talk about all these other things is there is power in religion. Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate of the masses. And then he went to invent crack called communism. Because you have to have a zero mind to believe in communism. And yet we have people running for president who are communists and proud of it. They believe it will work if only they were in charge. How many of you read the article that if only Stalin had had an iPhone, he could have worked? Actually, I read the article. He said, the thing that Stalin was lacking was technology. Don't you think 40 million dead is enough for one guy? How many people would he killed if he had had one of these? That's a terrifying thought. But that's what communism does. Communism's a religion, my friend. That's the only way it makes sense. Why would you give everything you have to somebody who doesn't need it? And by the way, once they get it, do they give it to anybody else? Talk to some of our people that lived under communism. They'll tell you how it worked. We have people that have a religion whose God is so small that he depends upon physical armies to protect its religion. But this God is so small that their people can't actually fight real wars. They've got to put on suicide belts and pretend to be somebody else and sneak in dressed as women and blow themselves up to kill people. What kind of God is that, my friend? I'm not trying to be offensive. I want you to think this morning. The Bible talks about the power of His resurrection. My Jesus doesn't need me to protect Him. He protects me. Amen? You see, there's so much in religion out there. There's a religion, the number one best-selling hard book, hardback book in publication today, other than the Bible, is The Purpose-Driven Life. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've read that book, but I'd like you to understand something about that book, the religion in that book is not from this book. What it teaches is it teaches a God that is so mindless that He put things in your heart and if you'll tell Him often enough, He'll give them to you. Do you know how opposed to the Scriptures that is? What does the Scripture say about your heart? It is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yes, God put things in your heart, but it's little g, little o, little d, the God of this world, the prince and power of the air. 
He has put those desires in your heart. If you want God's desires in your heart, you've got to let the power of His resurrection rewrite you as a human being. I've often told the story of Mr. Huxley. He was an atheist. And of course, there is no such thing as an honest atheist. They're liars from the get-go. Because you cannot prove a universal negative. And yet, that's what atheism is. It's illogical from the beginning. Now, if you call yourself an agnostic, I'll talk to you. Because there's hope. At least you're honest. I will tell you that you can know the God that you don't think you know. Because you got a whole book that tells you about him. Everything you study in creation tells you about him. Everything you can find by looking up into the stars at night tells you more about God. But Mr. Huxley would go around and he'd take out his watch and put it on a platform and say, I'm going to give God 60 seconds to kill me. And he would curse God for 60 seconds. And in those days, people would go and, oh, wow. You know, it's just like they go to the movies today. Oh, man, I can't believe what's happening. Ooh, yes. No. I can't look at it. Oh, yes, you do. Listen. Do you think God was impressed by Mr. Huxley? Do you think God even had time to show up and bother him when he'd already said what's going to happen to men like that in the Bible? But one day a man challenged him. Love this story. He says, Mr. Huxley... He said, I can't answer your questions. He said, I I can't debate you. I'm not educated. He said, but let me ask you to do one thing for me. He said, could you find an old drunk? Someone who had lost in life. And because they listened to your teaching, they're now a good human being. They're now a good father to his children and a good husband to his wife. Because he listened to your teaching. He said, and Mr. Huxley, if you could find one, which I sincerely doubt. He said, I'll bring you a thousand whose lives have been changed by the power of the resurrected Christ. See, what does your religion do for you? Not what do you do for your religion. What does it do for you? If it's powerful, it ought to do something. How many of you have ever worked with high voltage electricity? It's a very dangerous thing. I'll warn you, if you ever see a sign that says 660 volts... 460, any of those big numbers, stay away from it. It can actually jump out of the wires and burn your skin without ever even coming in contact with it. Electricity is a very... Those those big power lines, they say stay away. There's a reason. It'll cook you long before you get up close enough to touch the lines. You know why? There's power in those lines. 
And yet, when it comes to religion, when it comes to Jesus, where's the power? Where's what really happens? You see, there's a difference between so-called religion and real religion. The difference is the power. It's what happens. You see, the Bible tells me that the truth of the forgiveness of my sins is not based on me and what I do. It's based on Jesus and what He did. That's why I put that up there behind the pulpit so that everybody comes in. They have to stare at it the whole time you're preaching unless you're paying attention to something else. Because I want you to remember Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And it's an amazing thing to me that 90% of what calls itself religion today is trying to finish something that Jesus said he took care of. Now let's look at this passage here. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He says, I want to know that I have the forgiveness of sins. I want to know that the righteousness is not my works, but His works. You know, it's amazing how people talk about you must serve Christ. You must serve. You must do this. Your relationship with Christ is based on what you do until they mess up. Then it's all about His forgiveness. I want you to understand something here. It's all about His forgiveness. Because we know you've messed up. In fact, I've had people over the years say, Pastor, you, you don't understand what I've done in my life. Please don't tell me. I already know enough bad stuff. And telling me isn't going to help you. But if you'll tell Jesus, He'll forgive you. Because He paid for every sin on the cross. You see, the power of His resurrection is what makes me accepted in the beloved. It's what makes me a sinner. That when I stand before God, He will accept me. Not because I'm a good person, not because I'm a preacher, but because Jesus paid it all on the cross. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 9. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, the things that I can do, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. As an 11-year-old boy, I finally stopped praying. And I finally stopped trying to be good enough to please God. And I just asked Jesus to save me. And he did. And that was a long time ago. Over 40 years ago, Jesus saved me. 
I wish I could tell you I've lived perfectly for Christ and just been just super Christian, but I'd be lying to you just like everybody else lies. But you see, the righteousness is not in what I do. It's in what Jesus has done. See, that is faith. That's the power of his resurrection. Because I don't carry the guilt of my sin anymore. Jesus paid it all. How does that work? I mean, I can forgive others, but I can't forgive myself. Well, wait a minute. If you went down to the bank, and let's say you borrowed $50,000, which, by the way, our church just did to help the church in Brooklyn. We're going to pay that money back. A little bit at a time, amen? Over the next several years. But once we pay that loan back, I'm not going to keep writing checks because it's paid. You know, I'm not going to worry about, oh no, I forgot to write the check. No, it's paid. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And if you'll trust Jesus, he'll pay for your sins. And you don't have to worry about them anymore. You see, that's the power of his resurrection. But what's that next phrase there? It says, and, here we go, the fellowship of his joy. Is that what your Bible says? If it does, you got the wrong book. It says the fellowship of His sufferings. Plural? Isn't it plural? Yes, it is. Being made conformable unto His death. How many of you know what the word conformable means? Well, take it apart. The word form is in the middle there. You know what a form is? Form is a pattern. If you're going to make more than one part, you have to have a form. This is what Henry Ford came up with. It's his production line. And he had a form built so that the part would come out exactly the same, no matter how many parts that he made. And if you make every part exactly the same, when you get to the end, you put it together and it fits. I used to do a lot of mechanicing before I uh, got in the ministry. In fact, did quite a bit afterwards as well. But one of the things that you can really get in trouble with, Ford had this problem. As you go in and say, I have an 81 Ford, what's uh, so-and-so? I said, I want an intake manifold gasket. And the guy would say, which 81 Ford do you have? You see, you can have an early 81 or a late 81, but actually some of the later 81s, they ran out of 81 manifolds, so they put 82 manifolds on. The 81 gasket won't fit on the 82 manifold. And Have I confused you yet? 
It's terrible. The only way you can really get the right one is you got to take the thing off and go down to the parts store and say, I want one that fits this. Well, can I tell you what the form is? It's Jesus Christ. That's the form. And He wants to conform you to His image. That's what the word Christian means. It does not mean not Muslim. It means like Christ. It means conformed to His image. Conformable unto His image. By the way, what did Jesus do? He died on the cross. How many of you are ready to be conformable unto His death? What does Paul mean by that? Well, let me ask you a question. You can raise your hand if you want. I already know the answer. Every hand should go up. How many of you sitting here today are haunted or troubled by wrong decisions that you've made in your past life? Hello? Every one of us. And you know what? You can't go back and unmake that decision. You're stuck with it. How many of you anticipate you will make wrong decisions in the future? I'm not showing you what to do. I'm just being honest. Um, Now, let me ask you a question. How many decisions do you make after you're dead? Not a trick question. You've answered the question. None. You cannot... Oh, but I have a will written out and it'll tell people my decisions after I'm dead. No, you have to be living to write the will. Once you're dead, your evil stepson will come and change everything. Just joking. Is it okay to laugh just a little bit on Sunday morning? You can't make decisions after you're dead. It is done. It is finished. You see, here's what the power of His resurrection does. It saves me from trying to pay for my own sins because Jesus already did it. The next thing, it saves me from making Wrong decisions in my life because if I will let Jesus and His Word, He will make those decisions for me and will give me direction that I could not possibly get any other way. We have 14 students from Heartland Baptist Bible College with us. Every two years, we do what we call the inner city missions class. And I... Thank the Lord for Brother Hainline who brought his wife and she's been working hard all week helping the other ones feed this crew. They can put away the food, let me tell you. But one of the things we're trying to do is expose them to 
the differences. Oklahoma City is a nice place. Sorry, guys, it's not New York. And we want to introduce you to the need of the cities. And one of the great things that we spent a lot of time on is discerning God's will for your life. I mean, there's just some unusual things about this church you may or may not know. Before October of 1992, there was no church here. That's when I moved my family into Astoria and we started the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. You know how many people we had? Andrew was still in the oven. He's my assistant pastor now. And Peter and Sarah were one year old and two years old. And that was the church. And if it weren't for the giving of other churches to give us a salary... We would never have existed. But slowly but surely, step by step, God grew the church and added people to it. And we bought this building we called the Miracle on 35th Street because only God could have paid for it. And he did. And people say, how did you know how to do that? Well, it was God's will. You say, but... How did you know? Well, that's what this is talking about, being made conformable unto his death, is when you stop making decisions and let the Lord make them for you, he will lead you. You know what? I never heard one voice. By the synagogue. Okay. I know what to do now. I remember when Brother Clayton, Brother Marshall, and I, we we walked over here. We had just failed after our fifth major attempt to purchase a building. And man, my heart was gone. I was just, okay, Lord, I give up. I'm not even trying anymore. We We got a church. We got people. We need to work on winning souls. And I'm just forgetting about the building. And I got a phone call. Hey, there's a synagogue two blocks over. You need to look at it. I told the real estate agent, I said, I bet they want a million dollars for it. He says, no, no, 1.2. I said, you got the wrong guy and hung up on him. But I came over here and looked at it. And I said, okay, Lord, if you want us to try, I'm willing to fail. That That was my faith. But the Lord didn't want us to fail. In fact, he sold us a building at almost half price. You see, God knows what he's doing. But if you think that I'm smart enough to figure that out, see me after church, I'll sell you the Brooklyn Bridge because you'd believe anything, let me tell you. If you're going to be used of God, you've got to get past yourself because it's not about you. The greatest enemy you have is the reflection in the mirror. And the power of His resurrection will give you victory over yourself. Being made conformable unto His death. And by the way, why do we call suffering, suffering? Because it hurts. 
You know, people have quit living because of suffering. They just give up and die. Because of pain. Because of things gone wrong. If we could have a vaccine vaccine that would take away the pain for suffering, we could go into our mental wards and our hospitals and practically empty the places. If we could find a serum for guilt, good night. There wouldn't be a patient forever. But didn't we just talk about the serum for guilt? It's the power of his resurrection. Didn't we just talk about the answer for suffering? It's the power of his resurrection. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you hope you're going to go to heaven one day? Does anybody here want to go to hell? If you do, I'm serious as a heart attack here. I'm not making light of this. I want to talk to you after church. There's something wrong with you, desperately wrong. There is more wrong with you than you could possibly understand to say, I want to go to hell. Most of it has to deal with ignorance because you can have no idea what hell is and want to go there. I'll show you what the Bible says. It'll scare your socks off with your shoes tied tight. Hell is a terrible place. God never designed one human being to go there. It was designed for the devil and his angels. Jesus died on the cross so that no human ever has to go there. But if you reject him, what other options does God have? He's not going to let you into heaven to do in heaven what Adam and Eve did here. That is not an option. Jesus died once. That's all you're going to get. Now, Paul writes this verse, and if you're not careful in reading it, you might think that Paul is not sure about, his, about heaven. In verse 11, he says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He says, I, I'm, if, if there's anything in my life, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. And, and I've often asked this question of people who say, Well, well I, I'm working on it. I, I'm doing the best I can. I think God's going to accept me because of what I've done. How good is good, my friend? I'll tell you how good good is. God is good. Are you that good? Then don't expect to get into heaven. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now you have to read the next several verses very carefully and you're going to understand that Paul had a little bit more than a hope so of heaven. Because he had the power of his resurrection Look at verse 12. He said, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend. Now, here's where it gets, here's where it gets important here. He says, I'm following after, what? That hope of heaven, that I may attain unto the resurrection, that I can apprehend it. Now, that word apprehend means to grab a hold of, to arrest, to put under your control. Paul says, I want to get that. 
But now read the next verse, the next phrase. I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm following after. I'm trying to lay a hold on this thing. I'm trying to get it. But the thing is, the truth is, I'm already apprehended of Christ Jesus. He's already got a hold of me. You think Paul is familiar with John chapter 10? Where Jesus said, You're in the Father's hand and no man can pluck them out of the Father's hand? Oh, I think he was. Because I think Paul knew his Bible. You see, Paul said, I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus has a hold on me. He's forgiven my sins. He's given me the victory over myself. But here's the last part. And I think the most exciting part of this passage. How many people live life with no purpose? No direction. I'm just trying to get through. I'll tell you what, I wish I had a dollar for every person who sat in my office and would say, Pastor, I just want to live a good life. I just want a nice life. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have needed to borrow that $50,000. I'd had it. Everybody wants a good life. There's something wrong with you if you don't. But you know what it takes to have a life? I think it was Winston Churchill said, if a man has nothing worth dying for, he has very little worth living for. And he was using that to encourage his people to stand against Hitler and Nazism. Praise God, they did. But here's what Paul says. Brethren, I count not myself, verse 13, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like Paul had what we might call the thrill of life? He says, every day I'm reaching out. He says, I can forget those things which are behind because I've got something to do today. I am working. I am striving because one day I'm going to stand before God and I want to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It was Jesus that said, What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? And yet people have sold their souls for fame. I mean, every once in a while you're looking at a news article and it'll say, Ten Hollywood stars that committed suicide. What happened? They lost their fame. They lost their place. They got sucked into the vortex of abuse and misuse until they'd lost their hope. Paul said, 
I can forget my failures because I got a brand new day from Jesus and I'm reaching out. I got something to do. Someone said, what about a midlife crisis? Well, talk to me next decade. We'll maybe see if I can find time to fit one in. I have too much to do. And you know why? Because I'm serving the Lord. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And yet people look at Jesus and all he's done. I, I can't be crazy like you are. Well, nobody's asking to be crazy like me, like I am. They're asking to be crazy like Jesus is. You see, he's so crazy that he gave his life for us. And it's a very small thing that he would ask for us to surrender our life to him, is it not? Amen? You see, he gives me purpose every day. If you work in the business world, you understand this. You will be promoted to the level of your incompetence. That's how the business world works. You do a great job. Guess what? You get a promotion. You do a great job. You get another promotion. You do a great job and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed and you're not prepared and you do a lousy job. But because you did all those great jobs before, if you got a nice boss, they'll let you be miserable there until you reach retirement. That's the way it was 20 years ago. Now you get fired. And 20 years into it, you got to start all over again. You know why? Because they gave you something that you couldn't handle. There are people that get to the top of their profession and they say there's nothing left. Alexander the Great died in his 30s, early 30s. His last words were reported to be this. Are there no worlds left to conquer? I'm here to tell you, I don't care how spiritual you are. You can always get closer to Jesus. I'm here to tell you, no matter how well you know your Bible there's always something else you can learn. And it's a practical knowledge, not a theoretical knowledge. I am so tired of this, well, let's, let's discuss the erythral promises and let's talk about the soteriological implications of the Abrahamic comfort. Okay. Jesus promised Abraham that in all the families of the earth would be blessed, that Jesus would come of his seed. That's, that's the soteriological implications of the Abrahamic covenant. So why don't we just talk about Jesus instead of putting all those big words out there to make people think we're smart? Amen? Because I want a religion that works. I want one that will get me up tomorrow morning. I want one that will give me a purpose to go through the day and to put up with all the garbage that the politicians hand out. Because I got another reason to live. It's not that. It's Jesus. You see, He made me conformable to His image. So it's not me you're cursing at. It's not me you hate. It's actually Jesus. And that doesn't make me feel vengeful. It makes me feel pitiful. Because the only one you're going to hurt is you. 
But if you'll come to Jesus, he'll fix it. I don't care what it is. Because he finished it on the cross. He gives me power over myself. I mean, you don't have to know me very long to know that I could get in a lot of trouble with this mouth if I wanted to. But you know something? If I'm conformable to his death, I keep it closed. Or I talk about Jesus instead of talking about me. And he gives me a purpose. Now there's one more verse and we'll be done. Verse 15. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. How many of you would like to reach perfection on this earth? Well, here's how you do it. Is you accept the power of his resurrection to take away your sin. You allow the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering to deal with all of the unpleasant circumstances of this life. You become conformable unto his death so that it's not your decisions, but his decisions. Amen. He gives you that purpose to keep reaching out every day. The Bible says if you're there, you're perfect. That's what biblical perfection is. It's not sinless perfection. It's living each day in the grace and the power of his resurrection. Can we say amen to that? Now, if you want something more than that, the rest of the verse is for you. It says, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. (coughs) It says, if you're thinking any other way, God's going to show you you're wrong. That's what it says. You see, Paul said, this is the only way to live life. And by the way, none of us in this room, collectively in this room, if we took all of our education and all of our abilities, we'd have a hard time just measuring up to one Apostle Paul. That was the kind of man he was. He was an amazing man. But he said, everything I am, I got rid of it so I could have Christ. Then he became the most amazing man other than the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Read his story. He started more churches than all the other apostles combined. His work was multiplied more than the rest of all the other apostles. He's an amazing man. He wrote almost half of our New Testament. And if you take Luke, who was Paul's assistant, one of his assistants, he's got way over half of the New Testament. Because you got the, the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, all of Paul's epistles, possibly even the book of Hebrews. We don't know. But here's what Paul said. If you want to be perfect, here's how you do it. 
You see, if we'll go back to chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, we'll just read one passage I think will be fairly explanatory and tell us, our, tell us everything Paul's saying here. We'll start reading in verse 5, Philippians chapter 2. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You know what that passage says? Every tongue. I'm looking forward to the day when they drag the old devil himself right before the throne of Jesus and throw him in a heap at his feet. And you're going to hear him say loud and clear, Jesus is Lord. And then they're going to bind him hand and feet and cast him into the lake of fire which burneth with brimstone from which there is no escape. Death and hell will be cast into that lake of fire. By the way, if you want to know what the baptism of fire that John the Baptist spoke about is, that is it. It is the lake of fire. The baptism of the Spirit is salvation unto eternal life. The baptism of fire is of damnation unto eternal death. And Jesus is the baptizer. You see, you're going to agree with the message this morning, one way or another. You can willingly surrender yourself to Jesus Christ as your Lord, and He'll save you today. You say, but you don't know about... Ah, I don't need to know about. Jesus already does. He already paid for it on the cross. Now, if you need help to get over certain battles in your life, listen, that's what church is about. That's what our fellowship as believers is about, is to encourage you. But you've got to get to the point to where you're conformable unto His death. Once you're there, temptation is a whole lot easier to deal with, my friend, when you're dead. Amen? But when you're dead to yourself, then Jesus lives through you. And he gives you a purpose and a privilege and a power to serve him each and every day. Until he's done with you. You say, how will I know that? Well, it's very easy. We're New Yorkers. How do you get somewhere? You walk. You lower your head. You don't look around. And you move. Isn't that true? There's a reason for that. There's too many things to distract you. Somebody said, why do you New Yorkers always look down when you walk? This was out in Oklahoma. I said, it's not because we're depressed, but there could be an open manhole cover. You could step in. There's a curb that somebody forgot to fix. There's a broken sidewalk. Uh, We won't talk about all the nasty things that people leave on the sidewalk, 
uh, you just have to be careful where you walk. You know what? That's good advice for serving the Lord. You just focus on Him and you just start walking with Him each day, conformable unto His death. He'll give you victory over all the sufferings. In fact, the sufferings will not matter because Jesus does. One of these days, you're going to bump into something. You're going to look up and say, I'm home. I finally apprehended that of which I'm already apprehended in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we know that in a group this size, there's as many different issues in people's lives as there are people here to represent them. Yet, Lord, we know that the answer for every one of them is the same. And my first item in my prayer this morning is for those that are here that do not know you as their Savior. Lord, that today would be the day that they would simply, as a little child, trust in you. That they would believe what the Bible says, that it is finished and there's nothing left for them to do except to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those that are saved and they're struggling with the circumstances and the sufferings of life. Lord, that they would understand that each one of those things can be a gift from you once we're conformable unto your death. And Lord, our hope of eternity with you should far outweigh any temptation that we face here on earth. But Lord, when we fail, we can forget those things which are behind. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can press toward that mark. Lord, I pray for those that have lost that energy, that thrill of life that today would be the day they would come back and remember all that you have done for them and stop worrying about themselves and start being concerned for the Savior once again. We ask that on this Easter Sunday, as we assemble together in your name, that not one of us would leave this place the way we came. that you would give us of your grace to live in these last days for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as Andrew comes and leads us in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come.